The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The second part. I think I'm running late but I'm hanging outside Starbucks for nearly half an hour before Flint shows up. I feel her before I see her, a shape bounding up beside me. So when she leans in and says, Boo, I'm almost ready for it. Still, it's a bad day to test shattered nerves. Whoa, (laughs) sorry, douche move. You okay? I nod, and she makes up for it by taking my arm, marching me through the door. She sits me down in a booth and goes to order. It's not busy in here for a Saturday afternoon. The whole mall's quiet, but that suits me. I'm not one for crowds or company, especially on a day like this. Flint's different, because she's Flint. So, what the actual fudge? She slides in beside me and passes me a chai latte. I breathe in the sweetness of it, suddenly hungry. Luckily, she's got chips as well, and she breaks open the bag like she's cracking them out of prison. Some of them don't even stay on the table. Dead girl? Cops? Are you writing crime stuff now? Or do I need to be afraid? Despite everything, I laugh. She laughs, too, running a ring-heavy hand over her shorn head, scratching her scalp. But seriously, you look like crap, Tommy. What happened? If you shut up a minute, I'll tell you. She mimes a zipper across her lips, locking it tight with an invisible key. I take a sip of tea first, still too hot. Then I start at the only place I can start. She happened. Flint shrugs. The dead girl? The witch. I see the smile break on Flint's face like a second of sunshine before the clouds swallow it. The witch? Jesus, Tommy. What brought her back? I haven't heard you talk about her since, like, eighth grade. I take another sip, then a deep breath. Then I tell her everything, squeezing her arm every time she looks like she wants to stop me. I leave out the bit about the photo on Facebook. Doesn't even seem real now. Kara was probably just goofing around with somebody. And those fingers in the bed? The way I'd been feeling, I could have seen that witch anywhere. Everywhere. I know if I look again, they'll be coat hangers, or drumsticks, or just gone. I knew her. I sit back. The sugar helps with the shakes I didn't even notice I had. All the same, I still sit on my hands to keep them still. Flint's pushing her mug around in a puddle of coffee and sugar. I'm doing my best not to grab a napkin and wipe it up. Cara Pierce? She went to the rich kid's school across town. Fullerson. I wasn't friends with her or anything, but she used to hang out with... 
She clicks her fingers. Um, Bruce? No. Bert. Bart. What's his name? The fruit stall guy. Brent. Stupid name. But yeah, I think they were cousins or something. She hit the same parties sometimes. Small girl, short hair, had that twisted pixie look down to a T. Wouldn't have guessed she was into all that story stuff. Story stuff? You mean writing? It's not a dirty word. I don't know. I've read some of yours. I think I spoke to her once. We were waiting for the restroom together. I was drunk as shit, though, so eh, who knows. I didn't know she'd died. That's messed up. They think she killed herself. I mean, they never said it because Donnie was there, but they weren't hiding it either. You didn't do this. Flint pushes a finger against the middle of my head. I know you. I know exactly what's happening in there right now. You don't know what stuff that girl had going on in her life. I know, I say, squirming free. But there's got to be a reason why they came to talk to me. I mean, I bet there were a load of books on her shelves. Movies, whatever. But they only came to talk to me. It was just a story, Flint. I mean, it's just a stupid story about a stupid witch that wasn't even... Even now, even though I'm 16 years old, I can't bring myself to say it. I can't bring myself to say she isn't real. I scream behind my teeth. She'd written on it. Like, she'd written, she sees me too. So what, she sees the witch? Maybe she just meant you? Flint checks her cell. Like, you see her. Maybe she was just desperate for likes? She clicks a few things on her phone, then looks up at me. Come on, Tommy, I know it's freaky... But look at the facts. There was a girl who was into writing and horror and the same stuff you are, right? She prints off your story, maybe for research, maybe for a school project, maybe just because she really liked it. But she wasn't happy. Bad shit was going down in her life, so she ended it. There's nothing else to it. It's just coincidence. I guess. I look across the cafe. Everybody looks pretty happy. Pretty oblivious. And you want people to read your stuff, right? You're a writer. She read your story. That's like a natural process. That's how it works. I guess. So come here. She opens her arms. I slide into them, and she holds me so tight her cell phone digs into my neck. Forget about it, Tommy. We don't get long in this world. Don't worry it all away. I nod into the smell of her, make to pull away. But she doesn't let me go. It's like she's frozen, except I can still hear the wet thump of her heart right beneath me. That, and another of those weird, whining pops right outside my ear. Flint. I plant my hand on her ribs and push. If anything, she's holding me tighter, ratcheting me in, and her arms feel too thin, just shards of bone, knuckles pressed into the flesh of my neck. I see her too. Flint! I rip away from her so hard that when she lets go, my head cracks into the window. Jesus, Tommy, seriously. Flint holds up her hands. Seriously. You didn't? I start, then shake my head. Pain sloshes around inside my skull like muddy water. Flint's doing her best to smile at me, but there's an edge to it, like she doesn't quite remember who I am. Half the people in here are looking at me, too, 
their heads turning away like a Mexican wave as I scan the cafe. I fold my hands over my chest. I'm fine. Just rattled. No shit. Let's unrattle you. She glances at her cell. Marcel is having a thing tonight. Come along? No, I say, drawing even further into myself. Flint, I... Flint, I'm so glad you mentioned it because I've had the suckiest of days and I could do with unwinding or whatever. I'll see you there at seven and don't worry, it's fine because it's not a school night and my mom will be okay with it and I've definitely got something to wear so that doesn't matter and... She presses her hand to my lips and despite myself, I snort a laugh past it. And I know I have crippling social anxiety and would rather curl up under a bed and listen to thrash metal or whatever, but I really do think I should just get out with my gorgeous, talented, sexy-as-hell best friend and just chill. Right? That's what you were about to say? I can't reply because her hand is still there. I can taste salt and caramel on it. I just nod until she pulls her hand away. It better not be a party, Flint. It's not a party. It's a thing. I'll see you there. She slides out, stretches like a cat. I clamber out after her, stand behind her, casting my eyes around the room and knowing that everyone will be watching me. Only, they're not. Nobody is watching me. Every single person here, there must be 20 of them, is looking away, looking at the far wall. Even the barista has turned, his face pressed to his shelves like the naughty kid in class. I can only see the back of their heads and they're all so quiet, all so still. Flint is mid-stretch, like she's forgotten how to put her arms down. I study the ridge of her skull, the pattern of her stubble. I wonder, if I walk around her, how long it will take me to find her face. Oh, Christ, I'm tired. Her arms slap to her sides. She looks over her shoulder at me her face etched with a frown. But I don't think I'm as tired as you. Go home, Tommy. Go home and try to forget about it. I nod, following her out of the cafe. We part at the entrance to the mall, and she takes my hand as I'm about to walk away. And for God's sake, no more stories. But here I am. Back in my room, looking at stories. I don't even remember the walk home, not that it takes long. My laptop's open and humming, and creepy.com's on screen. Kara's page staring back at me. I'm cross-legged on the bed, and I feel okay. This is my room, my house, my space. I won't let her scare me here. No more stories, Flint had said. But I think the stories are important. They were important to Kara, anyway. And I can't just forget about it. It's like telling somebody to forget about the fact they're bleeding out. I'm not even sure why I feel that way. But there's a ball of anxiety inside my chest that's bigger than my heart. That seems to have swallowed my heart whole. And I know if I don't do something about it, then it's going to start eating me from the inside out. I scan down her info page again but I didn't miss anything. There's a box for comments she's made on other people's writing, and I read the first two. Both are for a story called Pinch. Hey, wait, I used to have bad dreams about being tickled too when I was a kid, and I thought I saw this building, 
but is this something you made up or did you hear it from somewhere? I've got chills. It was dated over a month ago, and the second comment was added a few minutes after the first. Like, when I say I saw it, I didn't mean for real or anything. I'm not crazy. Or maybe I am, lol. How do you delete comments? It's like listening to a ghost talking, and I still can't quite fathom the idea that the girl who wrote that, whose delicate fingers trace their way over her keyboard, isn't here anymore. I'm suddenly wondering what will happen to my stories when I die, and the thought of them being up there forever, a little piece of me left behind for eternity, makes a shaft of dread yawn open inside me. I click on the link to the story because it's the only thing I can do to chase the cold away. Pinch, added by unknown on 2-21-2016. I haven't read it before, and the author is anonymous. It's a popular story, though. There are almost a thousand likes, over a hundred comments. I slide down the page to see that it isn't long. I don't want to read it, and I don't even know why. I don't want to read it, but I do, because she did. Pinch, added by unknown on 2-21-2016. When I was 14, my parents divorced, and being the kind of girl who loved her fun dad more than her bitch mum, I went to stay with him. He lost most of his savings and his pension in the split, though God knows mum didn't deserve it so he could only afford a gnarly apartment on the second floor of a 10-storey walk-up. He lost my brother too, because Jason was 12 and too young to detach himself from mum's teat, so to speak. But Jason would come and visit us every now and then, sleeping in my room, and my dad had a PS4, so he was happy about it. Dad's place was, I guess old is the best word for it. Not like antique or quaint, not Downton Abbey for sure. It was more like an old person, It stank of piss out in the corridor. Pieces were falling off it. Wallpaper peeled like old skin, and the ceilings were broken bone, bowed in the middle. It was a building that sat there day after day, waiting for death, and I was amazed it held on for as long as it did. To begin with, it was good. After months of listening to my parents threatening to knock each other's teeth out, I relished the silence, the calm. I mean, it wasn't actual silence. You could hear everything from every single apartment in the building, and he heard some weird things for sure. But it was a kind of silence because I wasn't crouched in the corner of my room trying not to hear it. I wasn't waiting for the door to smash open in their rage to spill inside and drown me. The rooms were big, mine easily wide enough for two beds, and I felt like I had a palace all to myself. I'd sit and read or listen to music or draw. I was actually happy for the first time in forever. So happy that at first I didn't even notice the bruises. I stop reading, shivering. It's a typical creepypasta, and even though I've read a thousand of them over the years, it still makes my skin fold into goose flesh. I take a breath, hearing mom downstairs on the phone, hearing my little brother next door yelling at his TV. I'm safe here. I am safe. They started small, clustered like rotting grapes around my knees, my ankles. It was Dad who spotted them first, glancing at me as I walked out of the shower one day and asking me if I'd joined the wrestling team. I counted seven of them that first morning, all on my left leg. 
They didn't hurt, but just knowing they were there made my skin tingle. I figured I'd just been restless in my sleep or smacked my knees on the desks at school. It was only when I looked again a few days later and saw another four bruises on my right knee, these ones bigger, that I started to worry. These ones did hurt. I kept track of what I was doing during the day, but there were no accidents, no collisions, nothing to explain the fact that I woke up the next day with a bruise the size of an apple right beneath my left ribs. I didn't want to tell anyone. You'll probably think I'm insane, but the truth was my parents had just divorced. I was living with my dad, and I know how much people leap to conclusions these days. The honest truth was I didn't want the school nurse to tell the social worker, then the cops to show up one afternoon and take dad in for questioning. My dad wasn't perfect, not even close, but I knew without a shadow of a doubt that there was no way he'd ever hurt me. Besides, the divorce seemed to be hitting him harder the longer he was away from mum. He'd grown thin and gaunt and I noticed a lot more grey in his hair. I just didn't want to worry him. The only explanation for the bruises was that I was doing something in my sleep, something weird. And that made sense too because it had been a rough ride and I had my fair share of nightmares. I think of the witch and the hair on the back of my neck turns electric, like there are fingers weaving through it. Grabbing the laptop, I shuffle back until I'm leaning against the headboard and I push with my legs until I hear the headboard hit the wall. No space for her to climb through. So that night, I forced myself to lay awake. It was harder than you might think. There was an air conditioning unit in the living room window at Dad's place, and he'd leave it running all night. It made an almost perfect white noise, and that sound would knock me out faster than a fistful of sleeping pills. But I made coffee and kept the lights on and watched videos on my phone, intending to stay up all night if I needed to. It was about half past 11 when I heard Dad laughing. I didn't even know it was him at first, because it didn't sound like his laugh. It was too high, giggling, like he was a teenage girl. I swear my heart almost stopped. I actually felt it squeeze, like there was a hand around it. I was out of my bed in a heartbeat, leaving the well-lit safety of my room and feeling my way down the short stretch of corridor to where Dad slept. As I walked, he laughed again and again. He must have been having one hell of a dream. I peeked around his door, into an ocean of darkness. His room was huge too, and his bed lay on the far side of it. The longer I stood there, the more I could make out. He was moving around like he was wrestling with somebody, the covers rucked up and half on the floor. I couldn't actually see him. The dark over the bed was too great, too thick. He was still laughing, but it was different now. I can't really explain how, just that it wasn't a good laugh anymore. It wasn't a fun laugh. It was almost a scream, grunting, punched out of him again and again and again. I opened my mouth to say his name and he suddenly stopped. He fell still and the darkness on top of him turned around and looked right at me. I can't explain it any better than that. The darkness moved and it had a face, two eyes as yellow as moons and a corpse mouth that split open into a grin. I remember the scream was too big to fit up my throat. It was wedged there. Then it suddenly burst free like vomit, loud enough to flood the room, and Dad sat up in bed, the darkness just not there anymore. He fumbled for his lamp, and there was just him and his room and me still screaming. He got up, hugged me tight, put me back to bed. It was just a dream, he told me. Just a dream. And I would have believed him if I hadn't seen the red marks on his stomach and the old yellow bruises that decorated his ribs. I didn't want to sleep that night. 
or ever again, but Dad stayed by my bedside until I dropped off. I remember my sleep being restless, and my dreams were full of darkness. A darkness with eyes like cracked eggs. A darkness that grinned at me. When I woke, I was in pain. I actually winced as I got out of bed. Standing in front of the full-length mirror in my room, I saw that my torso was more bruised than skin. It looked like I'd been in a car accident. I covered it up like I always did, and went for breakfast. Dad was worse than ever, still not eating. I asked him what the matter was, but he just shrugged and told me he needed time. I noticed that he seemed to be in a lot of discomfort when he moved, and I almost mentioned what I thought I'd seen the night before. But I was scared, because I didn't want this boat to be rocked. I didn't want to risk being sent back to my mum. I just kept telling myself that we were both stressed and both prone to nightmares. The following night, I decided to stay up again. I wanted to prove to myself that there was nothing to worry about. I picked a good book to read and poured myself a mug of coffee, and after Dad had gone to bed, I crept out of my room into the living room. From here, I could see right into his bedroom, although it was too dark to see anything much at all. It was like that door was a threshold, and anything beyond it was part of a different universe. It started again at 11.37, a low, rumbling laugh from Dad's room. My heart lurched so hard I thought it had cracked my ribs. I leaned forward on the sofa and stared into his room, seeing nothing but hearing that same laugh, the rustling of his covers and a thump like the bed had been shunted across the bare floor. Dad laughed again, this time loud enough to wake the entire apartment building, and it went on and on, rising into a scream. It was this that pulled me up from the sofa, sent me stumbling through the living room and out into the corridor. I pushed open his door and slapped my hand to the light, trying to ignore the grunting, ugly, miserable laughs that poured from the shadows around his bed. Nothing happened. The room stayed dark. I called his name, but my voice was lost in the sounds he was making, the laughter like somebody being tortured. I flicked the switch, back and forth, but it was like the night had a hand over my eyes. I couldn't see a single thing. I called his name again and again, fumbling for my phone, switching on the torch and shining it at the bed just as the room fell quiet. Dad was sitting up, his covers thrown around him, his torso wet with sweat. He was sitting up and looking right at me, his face twisted into such a monstrous grin that every single one of his teeth was visible. I didn't think it was him. I thought that someone else had crawled into his flesh and was wearing him like pyjamas. He just stared at me and grinned that joker grin and I staggered back, the light from my torch swinging in my shaking hand. And that's when I saw her, standing beside his bed, She was too tall, too thin, her arms like broomsticks hanging by her side, her eyes glowing in the light from my phone. My whole body jolted like I'd had an electric shock. I tripped and fell back and the wall cracked my head like a bat. I was lying there until morning, until Dad woke me. He moved me to the sofa, laid me there while he went to call an ambulance. But I told him I was okay, that I just tripped in the dark when I went to get water. He called in sick, And to look at him, you'd think he was sick. I couldn't even remember the last time he'd eaten something. I wish I had let him call for an ambulance, because they would have taken one look at him and put him in a hospital bed next to me. I waited until lunchtime before I asked him about the laughter. He looked at me like I was mad, swatting away my words with a wave of his hand. So I asked him about his bruises, and he was about to deny them too when I made him lift his shirt. It was like he was seeing them for the first time. 
And if it was possible for him to grow paler then, he did. They were everywhere now, a band of them around his ribs, malignant and dark. He looked at me and told me he didn't understand, so I took a deep breath and told him what I'd seen. I showed him my bruises too, and it was then that he started to cry. The rest of the day was spent in silence, not because we didn't have anything to say, but because we were waiting. I wanted to get out of the apartment, I needed to get out, but Dad refused to go, refused to believe that what we were experiencing was anything more than a bad night's sleep. So I made him promise me something. I made him promise me that he'd set his alarm for 11.30 and that he'd keep his lights on all night. So we sat and watched telly and waited for the sun to die. I pretended to go to sleep, but as soon as I heard Dad's snores, I moved to my sentry position on the couch. He did as he'd been asked, leaving his light on, and at 11.30 I heard the soft beep of his alarm. He rolled over, sat up, oblivious to me watching him. He turned his alarm off, scrolling through something on his phone. I counted the minutes, ticking them off until 11.37 had been and gone. At 11.42, he switched off his light and went back to sleep, but I didn't move. I didn't want to leave him. I would wait there until morning, I thought. I wouldn't even close my eyes. The next thing I knew, I was dreaming, I'm sure of it. Something was sitting on me in the dream, something made of night. It lifted its fingers, each as long and as thin as the handle of a wooden spoon. And before I could do anything, it dug them into my ribs hard. It was excruciating. It was agony, like being a kid again and being tickled too hard. Its hands were in my sides, between the bird bones of my chest, pinching, tickling, and all I could do was laugh. Not a good laugh. It was a scream, punctuated by haggard, wrenching breaths. I fought it, but in my dream it had no body, just those hands, and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. I laughed, screamed, grunted, my whole body bucking, my lungs empty, and still its two long digits burrowed themselves into my skin, trying to grind their way into the meat between my ribs, tickling, tickling, tickling. It spoke. Just one word whispered over and over. Pinch, 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 pinch. I woke, the world snapping back around me. The living room, the lights blazing, everything back to normal apart from the void of darkness right above me. The weight of night that sat heavy on my stomach. Its two hands were made of shadow, but they drilled into me like machinery, tickling relentlessly. Its head peeled open, those sunken eyes full of rancid delight, the sucking pit of its mouth dripping laughter. And I was laughing too, I couldn't stop myself. It was this... The sound I was making, more animal than human. It was this awful, unrecognisable laughter that tipped me right to the edge of madness. Dad called my name and the darkness flew off me instantly, seeming to cartwheel across the room and up into the shadows of the ceiling. Dad was standing in the living room door, his face full of sleep. I rolled off the couch, my head a seething mess of white noise. He stumbled toward me, trying to calm me, but all I could feel was those fingers digging for treasure in my sides. All I could see was the thing that tickled me, and still hissed that word from where it hung upside down in the corner of the room. Pinch, 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 pinch. I ran, wrenching open the door and heading out into the apartment building. I didn't know where I was going, I just had to get away. Every door was closed, but I could hear voices from behind all of them, maybe the same voice, chanting, laughing, crying. I ran, 
Stumbling up the stairwell, third floor, fourth floor, those voices chasing me, forcing me higher, higher, until I burst out into a corridor on the seventh floor and saw the door. And I knew that I was supposed to be here. I don't know how, but I knew that she was waiting for me. I knew she'd keep me safe. The door was open, but all I could see was the floor and, and part that kitchen with a table full of water. She heard me. I could sense her and she breaks, break, breaks. It ends here. Nothing below but comments, and most of them asking what the hell happened next. I close the laptop, suddenly aware of the way my heart is throwing itself against my ribs, as if there are long, thin fingers wrapped around it, tickling hard. It's a good story, one of the better ones on Creepy. But that's not the reason I feel like the temperature has dropped a hundred degrees in here. I open the laptop lid again, looking at those last few lines. I knew that I was supposed to be here. I don't know how, but I knew that she was waiting for me. I knew she'd keep me safe. The words beneath that don't make a lot of sense. They've been written that way on purpose, like it's a broken radio signal or something. But there's enough there for me to have a go. There's enough there for me to guess what she was trying to write. What she saw through that door. A kitchen, I think. With a table full of meat. I spend the rest of the afternoon thinking about Pinch. And thinking about her. The dead girl. I think about her so much that I feel almost like I see her. A flash of a smile in the corner of my eye every time I turn my head. It's just screen burn and exhaustion, but even so, it scares me downstairs pretty quick. You okay? Mom asks me this as I walk into the kitchen. Not because of this morning, but because it's the same thing she asks me at the start of every conversation. She worries a lot, my mom. I nod sitting on a bar stool and pressing my thumb down on the crumbs that still lie on the island. Mom doesn't seem to be doing anything other than standing by the sink. She's tracing the plug hole with one finger, tracing it in tight circles, the faucets running like a fire hose. What are you doing? She shrugs, lifting her hand and staring at her finger. There's something on the end of it. I was speaking to somebody... She told me that Kara girl was a bad kid in all kinds of horrible stuff. Yeah? Cut herself all up and down her arms, legs too. Used to skip classes with her boyfriend and tramp across town to God only knows where. She was on the edge of getting kicked out altogether. Only the fact her father donated so much money to the school kept her in. I nod again. I can't decide if this makes me feel better or worse. Kara didn't look like a bad kid, but then again, all I had to go on was a bunch of Facebook photos. She killed herself. I flinch so hard my stool scrapes across the floor. Mom, I say, but I've got nothing to follow it with. I knew it anyway, right? But it sounds different coming from her mouth. It sounds different when you say it like that. But they don't know how. They say they've never seen a body like hers before. It was like somebody had taken a bat to her. It's like somebody has taken a bat to me, too. My gut, a clenched fist. 
Mom's still standing there, staring at her finger. She hasn't even looked at me, and I know it's because somehow, in her head, she's conflated me with this whole thing. I'm linked to the dead girl, and now it's me who skipped classes, who hangs out with my boyfriend slicing up my arms with a cheap razor. It's how her brain works. They say they didn't find all of her. They searched that room a hundred times, and they didn't find all of her. I swallow the image down, compacting the crumbs between my fingers and thumb, feeling the little implosions as they cave in to the pressure. I feel like I'm about to implode too, because the kitchen feels too hot, the walls too close, and my head is pounding. I stick the same finger into the collar of my shirt and pull it away from my neck. I'm about to change the conversation when something occurs to me. Why do they think she did it to herself, then? I mean, nobody beats herself up, cuts pieces off or whatever. Then, you know. I mime the action, because it's easier than saying it. That doesn't make any sense. I didn't say she committed suicide. Mom slides her finger, the same one she's just been using to wipe the sink, into her mouth like it's a popsicle. It's in there for a full 30 seconds before it pulls free, as wet as a slug. She stares at it, lost somewhere. Mom? I didn't say that. I didn't say she committed suicide. You... I get off the stool, because it suddenly feels like it's lost three of its legs. Even the ground feels as if it's tilted, and I cling to the edge of the island to stop myself rolling downhill, rolling into that weird, rotting stain on the wall. You said she killed herself. You just said it. Yeah. Mom finally looks at me. She killed herself. She didn't commit suicide. She killed herself. She murdered herself. She killed herself. What? I'm about to push it when the doorbell goes. I don't even wait to see if Mom moves. I just want to get the hell out of that kitchen. The silhouette at the door is familiar, and I'm almost giddy with the relief of knowing Flint's standing on the other side of the glass. You're here, I say, pulling the door open. She's rocking back and forth on her heels, a massive grin plastered over her face. There's something different about her, and I can't quite figure out what it is. You're not. She pushes past me. It's after six. I thought if I didn't come and get you, you'd hide away here for the night and refuse to answer your phone. I know you and social gatherings. Like, two negative magnets bouncing off each other. She heads straight to the staircase and starts walking up it, not looking back. I glance at the hallway clock. It's about ten minutes slow, and still stuck on summertime. But she's right. It's after six. I have no idea how that happened. It must have taken me longer to read the story than I'd thought. Flint? I close the front door and follow her. You need the bathroom? Her voice floats down from the landing, weirdly muffled. You're not leaving this house like that. Come on, there's something up here for you. I glance into the kitchen to see that mom hasn't moved, still staring at her finger, the faucet blasting out white noise. I walk to the stairs put one hand on the banister, but I don't step up. I feel too heavy, like gravity has doubled beneath our street. 
The air is so hot, so thick. Come on, Tommy, you'll like it, I promise. I haul myself up like I'm stuck in quicksand, dragging myself around the bend to see Flint standing outside my bedroom door. She's running a hand through her hair, grinning that same grin. Don't take too long. You never want to take too long on the stairs. And you never want to stop. Why? Because you don't know who's behind you. The goose flesh explodes onto my skin like I've been wrapped in cold, wet linen. I look down the stairs, and Mom's right at the bottom of them, staring up with dark eyes. I trip, fall, then make it to the top on all fours. If anything, it's hotter up here. The air seems to swim. Right there. Flint nods at my bedroom door. You're going to love it. I don't know why she's lying to me. If she had something for me, why wouldn't she just give it to me downstairs? I glance at Donnie's door. It's closed, but I can still hear him in there, shouting at his Xbox. And it's just Flint. Whatever game she's playing, it won't be bad. She loves me. What's in there? Oh, something delicious. Something special. Go on, look. I make my way to Flint, standing so close that I can feel the weight of her next to me. I can feel the heat coming off her. My door is half closed and there's a bathrobe hanging on the back of it, but I can see a fraction of my bed through the crack. It looks almost like there's something on it. Something big. You're so slow, you're going to miss it. The words slide into my ear on a needle. I look at her, then back again to see Mom at the top of the stairs. She must have moved like a ninja to get there so fast. Whatever this is, Mom's obviously in on it. I feel myself blushing, like they've got me an early birthday present or something. When I push my head past the door, though, it's not a present I see on my bed. It's a girl. She's facing away from me, her legs over the side of the bed, her face about three inches away from a laptop screen. She's rocking back and forth, ever so slightly, and I can hear her voice, too quiet to make out words. What's going on? But Flint just smiles. I look back at the girl on the bed, ready to ask her the same question. But when I do, I notice she's wearing my clothes. Not just the same clothes I own, but the clothes I'm wearing right now. She's got my hair, too, and my earring. It's me. I'm looking at myself. She's not you. Flint's mouth is against my ear. She shoves me hard, and I stumble into the room. The floor seems to tilt again, as if the whole house has started to slide into a sinkhole, and I'm falling toward the bed, falling toward her. There's nothing I can do to stop myself. I kick a leg against the bed, but the force that's pulling me is too strong, and my knee buckles. I roll onto the mattress, grabbing the frame until my fingers feel like they're about to break. The girl's turning her head, slowly. I grip the bed, feeling like there's an invisible rope around my middle the other end tied to a truck. I think I'm screaming, but I can't be sure. There's no sound other than her frantic whispers, as soft as distant bird wings. Her head turns and turns like an owl, and when it turns enough, I see that the girl doesn't have a face. 
Her skull is a smooth, pink hollow, an empty shell. My fingers snap free and I accelerate into her, into that awful, sucking absence of her face. We hit like we're both traveling at 60 miles an hour, the impact knocking the wind out of me, sending the laptop clattering off my lap. It hits the floor hard and I jolt onto my feet, backing away from the bed so hard I almost stand on it. There's nobody there. Nobody there. Just me, right here, on the edge of tears. Fuck is literally the only word I can think of. I must have fallen asleep sitting on the edge of the bed. Christ, my heart's apoplectic. It's frothing at the top of my throat. I bend down to pick up the laptop, but before I can, I hear Mom scream my name. Tommy! It almost sounds like she's in the bathroom. I can hear the gallop of water as she moves in the bath. Go get the goddamn door! What? I'm so disoriented, the room feels like it's turning in slow circles. It's almost too much for me to walk to my bedroom door, but I manage it, peering into the empty corridor. The bathroom door is open, and I can see Mom right there, soaking in the tub. She eyeballs me, and I take the hint, dropping down the stairs. The kitchen's empty, but the faucet is still running, and it's Flint's silhouette I see trapped in the glass of the front door. You're here, I say when I open it, falling into a yawning pit of deja vu. She smiles at me, running a hand over her shaven head. You're not. She pushes past me. It's after six. I thought if I didn't come and get you, you'd hide away here for the night and refuse to answer your phone. I know you and social gatherings, like- Magnets. She tilts her head in confusion. Yeah. Negative ones. You okay? You look like you've just seen your mom and the milkman doing the naked fandango on the dining room table. I'm... I'm not okay. I need to center myself. So I open my arms and Flint reacts instantly, moving into them. I hold her tight, pushing my face into her neck, smelling the sweet smell of her. The not-my-house smell of her. It's enough, and my heart calms. My mind stills. She doesn't let go until I do. I thought I told you no more stories. She runs a hand over my head. This thing has sucker punched you. No more stories. But definitely a night out. I'm about to say it's the last thing I want to do, but that's a lie. The last thing I want to do is walk up those stairs and look into my room and see a girl with no face sitting on my bed. Sure, definitely. Just give me a minute. I'm not exactly dressed up, but it's not exactly prom. I grab a jacket from the hook and yell upstairs. I'm going out! Don't wait up! Mom shouts something back, but I lose it behind the sound of Flint opening the door. I let her go, running into the kitchen and turning off the faucet, instantly wishing I hadn't. There's something in the sink. Something slick and red and raw. Something surrounded by trails of thick, oily liquid, as if it's been pushed around in circles. It almost looks like the top joint of a finger. This book will kill you. 
Written by Alexander Gordon Smith. Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. This book will kill you. The second part starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright, Kristen DiMercurio as Flint, Ilana Charnel as the unknown author, Dan Zapula as Donnie, and Erin Lillis as Tommy's mother. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, the third part. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith.